Call yourself Stevie Wonder fans. Any of you? Probably not that. A few. That's cool. Very good. How many of you guys have no idea who Stevie Wonder is? Anybody? It's a long time ago, so it's okay. Okay. Well, here's... I have a story for you about Stevie Wonder. Because my brother, who many of you guys met um, this past fall when we had the dueling pianos party. Do you guys remember this? Um, my brother came from St. Louis to play. That was really fun. And my brother is the biggest Stevie Wonder fan I know. In fact, for all the years that he's been doing music, all his life, uh, Stevie Wonder has been the most important musical influence on my brother's music. So he's a rap artist and a, a hip-hop artist and jazz, and he plays all kinds of different music, and Stevie's been a huge influence. So all his life, my brother has wanted to go and see Stevie Wonder in concert. This was like the dream for him. And on September 10th, this past fall, Stevie Wonder announced that he was going to do a 12-show tour. And so that day, my brother heard the news, and he called me. And he was like, listen, Stevie Wonder's coming to the palace. Do you want to go? Um, my brother lives in St. Louis. His fiance lives in Ohio. Ben and I live in Holland, and these tickets were really expensive. But this was something my brother had wanted to do for his entire life. So we were like, totally, we're going to go to the palace and see Stevie Wonder. So um, we made plans. The show was on November 20, and my brother started counting down the days for this great event of his life. So the day comes, and of course, it was November 20. It was snowing. Do you guys remember when all of that snow started coming? All right, so Ben and I left the office um, here on campus at about 1 o'clock and started heading to the east side. We were going to Ann Arbor to drop Jaden off at a friend's house, get him settled. My brother was leaving from Ohio to meet us uh, at the palace. So we all start driving and kind of heading that way. We agreed that we would meet at about 7.30 so we could get there with plenty of time to walk in and find our seats and get settled so we didn't miss one minute of the show that started at 8 o'clock. And my brother had our tickets, so that's why we were going to meet at 7.30 in the, in the parking lot. So we do this. Ben and I left Ann Arbor at 5 o'clock for the one-hour drive, said Google Maps, um, to get to the palace. But we had three hours, so we thought we had plenty of time. My brother leaves Ohio. We all were kind of on track to meet on time. But as we started driving... The traffic started getting slower and slower, and the snow was coming down a little bit. And every time I checked my map, the travel time kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer. Ben and I pulled into the palace parking lot in a mess of traffic. Like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Driving into the palace, and we got into our parking spot at 8.05. So we're late, but we made it. The problem is my brother has our tickets right? And he's driving from Ohio. So I called my brother and I said, where are you? And he goes, I'm 15 miles away. And he was so sad. guys. <laughs> this was like the pinnacle of his musical experience. He's like, we're going to miss the first half hour. And he just kind of re resigned himself to that. So I was really, really, really sad for him. But, you know, at least we'll still get to see a lot of it. So he kept driving, he kept driving, we kept waiting. We're watching just hundreds of people drive in and walk past our car into the show and just getting really frustrated. So I called my brother again about a half hour later. How you doing? He's like, I'm three miles away and traffic's not moving. So now we're really frustrated. At 9.30, my brother pulls in. <laughs> yeah, was so sad. So at 9.30, my brother pulls into the parking lot we walked slowly at this point to meet each other in the parking lot, and we are just heartsick. 
We are so sad. I'm mostly just really sad for my brother. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, the whole experience is ruined for me. Let's just go in, see a couple songs, we'll go home. So we walk in, but as we're walking in, there's lots of other people walking too still, which I thought was really weird. Doesn't any, don't any of you care that you're late for this concert? Like, this is crazy. So we walk in, and there's people in line at will call and people in line to buy tickets, and we thought that was weird, but we're like, we'll just keep going. So we go in, we show our tickets, we go up the stairs towards the main level where you find all the food and the seating. And then there was this moment. We were about halfway up the stairs, and I could hear him. And I stopped, and my brother stopped, and we looked at each other, and we're like, do you hear that? That's Stevie Wonder. <laughs> it's real. It's live. We're really hearing him. He's singing. And all of a sudden, for the first time, my brother smiled, and there was a sense of like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. This is excitement again. So we kept going up the stairs. We'd all been in the car for hours, so we all head to the bathroom. Again, we're not in a hurry because we're, we already missed most of the show. So we go in the bathroom, we come back out, and as we're heading up the stairs to kind of go to our section, my brother looks at me and he goes, something's weird because this song that we're hearing right now was supposed to be the first song. He knew, of course, he knew the set list for the whole show because he was like so excited, right? So I'm like, really? That's weird. Something must have gotten changed or messed up or whatever. So we go up the stairs to our section and they have this big black curtain, you know, where they kind of keep the light out. So we go through the curtain and there he was, <laughs> Stevie Wonder, with a full orchestra, a full brass section, two drum kits, two auxiliary percussionists, backup singers over here, backup singers over here. They're all dancing and synchronous. You know, it's like Motown at its finest. And Stevie Wonder is sitting in the middle at the grand piano. And my brother had this look of just complete awe on his face. It was so cool. Like nothing mattered. It was happening. But then I said to the guy, we showed the guy our tickets at the door. He showed us where our seats were, kind of pointed to him. And I looked at him just on a whim and said, so did he just start? And the guy goes, oh, heck yeah. He knew you were coming. So, I mean, you did, we didn't miss anything. No, it just started. He had just started the show at 9.30, an hour and a half late. We didn't miss a minute. We went to our seats, sat down, and Stevie Wonder played for the next three and a half hours, and it was incredible. So, I mean, you can clap for that or something, because that was, like, amazing. I will never forget the look on my brother's face when he saw that news. He was so relieved. He was so happy. I think we were both, if we're honest, a little choked up. We were, like, so um, amazed that this had happened. Um, so this story is all about anticipation, this thing that my brother had been waiting for his whole life. We thought we missed it, and it actually happened, and it was so amazing. And what I want to tell you guys tonight is a story, another story from the Bible about anticipation. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to tell you a little bit of the story, and then we're going to ask a couple questions to understand it, and then I'll tell you the rest of the story. But there's some people who worked really, really hard to do something because they were greatly anticipating it. Um, and I actually think there's a fascinating reason that they did that. Should I move this out a little bit? Yeah. See if we can make that stop happening. Okay, so here is part one of the story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, 
Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. This is the word of the Lord. This tiny little story of these people coming from somewhere to see something because they anticipated it was going to be amazing. So it's kind of strange, though, if you stop to think about it. This is part of the Christmas story that we just kind of get accustomed to, but when you really stop and look at it, it's kind of strange. Who are these people? Where did they come from? How do they know about the star and that it's going to lead them to something cool, let alone Jesus, who they've come to worship? And what's going on here? So I want to ask some questions with you tonight and kind of unpack it because I think the potential answer is fascinating. So the first question is, who are the magi? So say this Greek word with me. Are you ready? Megos. Megos. This is the Greek word for magi. Basically, it means people who were astrologers or priests or teachers or sorcerers sometimes or interpreters of dreams or teachers or physicians. Basically, they were people who knew a lot about a lot of stuff. They were smart people. And so what do we often call them rather than magi? The wise men. men. Sometimes they're called wise men. Okay, so we know that they're magi. And this term was a term that was used in the East, okay? So that's my next question is, where do they come from? So, of course, I'm going to show you a map. So if we can go to that first map. Um, you can see Jerusalem, if you, I hope you can see it, kind of down in the center of the map. If you follow the big red arrow back over, this whole area actually where you see the red arrow is what's known as the East in ancient times. So as soon as someone in ancient times would hear East, they would think that area, which was called Mesopotamia, Sometimes it was Babylon, sometimes it was Assyria, it was always run by different people, but it was the east. Okay, this is where they're coming from. Now, here's the thing. If they came from the east, and what you see right down here is sort of the center of power during the time of Jesus, guess how far they came? 900 miles. So when it says the Magi came from the east because they were following a star, they walked for 900 miles. That's going to take a long time. So go to the next map. Just for some perspective, the distance from Grand Valley State University to Mobile, Alabama is about 900 miles. Anybody going there for spring break this year? Yeah? One person, two people. We decided that maybe, if you guys don't mind, we're going to send you on camels so that you could kind of understand the story better this year. That, okay, probably not so much. But 900 miles, either on foot, on camels, probably with a big group of people, this took them a long time. Time. This was not just a quick trip down the road to figure out what this star was going, what this star was all about. So this is kind of interesting. So we know they were magi. We know they were coming from the east from a very long way away. But the question I have now is, why do they know about this star? What's going on? Well, one interesting thing about this is there's a prophecy in the Old Testament from the book of Numbers. And it became known as a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Now, this would be a coming Messiah for the Jewish people back in the land of Israel. Remember, these people are 900 miles away, but here's the prophecy. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob, but Israel will grow strong and destroy the survivors of the city. This star became symbolic in prophecy of the ruler that would come. So the people of Israel know this prophecy. They know this book. But why in the world 
do these magi from the east, from 900 miles away, why do they know this? So much so that then they travel 900 miles to follow the star and worship the star, worship the person the star leads them to. Does anyone else think this is kind of strange? It's kind of a weird question, and we just kind of blow by it when we sing We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? We just blow right by, but what is going on here? Why did this happen? How did they know? Well, I think it's fascinating, one of the possibilities. So this is what I want to kind of share with you tonight. I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me if you can guess who this is. Any guesses? Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. You guys remember this story? You should Google sometime Daniel and the lion's den pictures because they're really funny. This one came out of Jaden's storybook Bible that we were reading this morning, so I snapped a picture of it. Daniel and the lion's den. So here's something really interesting about Daniel. 500 years before the Magi, 500 years before Jesus was born, most of the people from Israel were conquered by the people who lived in the east, in Babylon, and they were exiled to Babylon. Daniel was one of them. Through a series of events where Daniel was faithful to God in a foreign land, in a foreign place, among foreign gods, among people who disagreed with him, through a series of events where Daniel stood firm, and said, I will serve God only. Daniel eventually rises to power in Babylon, first of all, and guess who the king puts him in charge of? The Magi. Daniel rises to power and becomes in charge of all the Magi of the land in this foreign place. Well, people start to get jealous, because they don't really like that this foreign guy from the land of Israel, who's supposed to be in exile is now given power. So they say to the king, hey, king, we don't really, well, they don't tell him probably why, but they say, we think you should issue an edict that everyone in the whole land should only pray to you, and they can't pray to anyone else. And the king's like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. They can pray to me. That's fine. Well, Daniel, they knew Daniel wouldn't do this. So Daniel continued to pray to God three times a day, his God, the one true God. And, of course, someone told on him, And the king, distraught, because he actually liked Daniel, had to throw him in the lion's den, because that's what they said the punishment was. And we all know the story. God saves Daniel, and they bring Daniel out, and the king decides to issue another decree. And here's what it says. This is from Daniel chapter 6. The king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God, reverence the, that's not right. People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Sorry, next slide. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Do you see what just happened? Daniel, this foreigner, rose to power, gets thrown in the lion's den. God saves him. And now the king declares that the whole land has to worship the God of Daniel. That's very interesting, don't you think? Now I want to tell you part two of the story. Back to the Magi. Think about how these go together. After they had heard the king, 
they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and gave him gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. This is the word of the Lord. So here's my question for you. What are the chances that these magi come from 900 miles away, following a star that's talked about in the Hebrew Old Testament, to find the Messiah, born King of the Jews, so they can bow down and worship him? Because 500 years earlier, a guy named Daniel was faithful to God. Now, I can't tell you 100% that Daniel's the one that told them and it passed on through the generations, but I can tell you that someone knew. Someone was faithful. Someone got exiled to a foreign land, possibly Daniel, and stood his ground and said, I know who the one true God is. I love his word. I'm going to remain faithful to him in the face of persecution. Come what may, I'm going to stand my ground and be faithful to my God no matter what happens. And he lived that out, and he told his story. So much so that 2,500 years later, we're sitting in this room, and we're still talking about it. So I wonder, what legacy will you leave behind? Will people be following Jesus more closely next week because of how you follow him today? Will people be following and worshiping Jesus 500 years from now? People you'll never, ever know because you choose to be faithful and worship the one true God today. What this story says to me is that it matters how we live. The choices we make, the things we believe, the story we tell to the world, it matters because it affects all the people around you. It matters for your friends. It matters for your family. It matters for your children and your children's children and your children's children and generation after generation after generation. So will you stand firm? Will you follow Jesus? Will you live that out in a way that calls other people to do the same? And here's the thing. You guys are about to, believe it or not, make it through the last week of class and make it through exams. It's going to happen. And then you're going to go home, and you're going to start to celebrate the Christmas season. And you're going to hear this story. Maybe you're going to hear it in church. Maybe you're going to hear it. Maybe you're going to read it. Maybe you're going to sing a song about We Three Kings, something like that. You're going to hear about the Magi, and they don't get a lot of press. But I want you to grab onto this, and as you hear this story over the next several weeks, Let their story challenge you to follow Jesus more closely so that the people following you will do the same. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your story. Thank you for the season that we're about to celebrate. Thank you, God, for the faithfulness of people who have gone before us 
who are faithful to follow you and tell their story so that we might know you and we might be able to worship you here tonight in this room. So God, I pray that you would spur us on. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that your story over the next few weeks would call us to speak boldly for you and to stand our ground and to be faithful as we follow you. Come what may. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.